0: to Uplifting Impact. We are so excited to have you here today. Today, I'm going to be speaking to a dear friend of mine. We're going to be talking to Angela Russell. She is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at CUNA Mutual. Angela is responsible for the leading and the development and direction of the organization's short and long-term strategies and programs that support diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ms. Russell has more than 16 years of professional experience involving diversity, equity and inclusion and external relations and outreach. She also is highly focused on communications, policy development, research and evaluation. Angela, it is so awesome to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much um, for having me here. It's wonderful. You know I love you. You're amazing. So it's an honor. Come on now. Uh,
0: (laughs) Well, I really wanted to make sure that I had you on this podcast because you know what we're trying to do is we're trying to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we're talking about strategies that actually work. And we're talking about how you bring along sometimes really large teams. And when I put all those things together, I was like, oh, that's Angela, because that (laughs) is what you are doing. You are putting the work behind getting your diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives off the ground. So I have some questions for you. I want to jump right in. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Well, first of all, I just want to understand why you do this work. Like, what is it that motivates you and and how did you
1: get into it? Girl, you're just going in right from my heart, right away. I am, right away. (laughs) (laughs) So interesting path. I got into this work because I was interested in health disparities, quite frankly, so way back, a long time ago, when I was doing my graduate work, it was really interested in why are Black women dying of breast cancer more than white women? Mm. So I started getting interested in the impact of race and culture and diversity on health outcomes, which is actually quite timely right now when you think about coronavirus. But the more I got into it, the more I realized that, some of the key determinants of health is the actual economic stability and viability of communities of color. So I've, I've had a kind of a career all over the place, starting in public health, then in politics, back to public health, and now in the financial services industry. And for me, it, it all connects because you need good, solid policies and practices that influence communities, which will then influence overall health outcomes. You need communities to be economically stable which will influence health, health outcomes. So it all connects. So that's how I got into it. And I feel very lucky and blessed to have a job and a career focused on the things that I'm passionate about.
0: That's so amazing. You know, it, we're not talking about purposeful hustle here today, but I just have to point this out, right? <laughs> Having clarity about what you want to do and where your purpose is can take you into all those different sectors, Right. right. It can help move you. But at the end of the day, doesn't it feel good that you can keep connecting back to the reason why you feel like you're here and where you think you can have the most impact?
1: Absolutely. I feel very lucky. Very, very lucky. And it has not been a linear career path by any stretch of the imagination. It's just kind of that notion of taking the next step that's in front of you.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So wrong, wrong topic, but let's, let's come back. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So one of the things that I'm really curious about is just, you know, thinking about some of the top priorities that you have when you're thinking about your diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So when you're trying to lay out, you know, what are the things that are the most impactful that I could
1: be doing? What, what, what comes to mind? Well, I think one of the things that I want to kind of start off saying is that the journey of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the path at CUNA Mutual has been very intentional. And I think that's a really important piece. So when our CEO, Bob Trunzo became CEO back in 2014, one of the very first things that he did was add inclusion as a corporate value. So we had that executive level buy-in mm. before we actually started doing the work work. And having that executive level buy-in is a game changer. The one thing that I also want to point out is that before he became CEO, there is a group of folks that were interested in doing DEI work, and they were planting the seeds. And that that seed, I love the seed analogy, that seed wasn't able to flourish until you had the right leadership in in place. So the reason why that's important to know is that I know that there are a lot of folks in different organizations Mm -hmm. that are wanting to do something, but they don't have that leadership buy-in yet. I would tell them to keep doing what they're doing because they're planting seeds that will grow and bloom um, when the time is right. They may not see it right now. They may not see the fruits of their labor, but they will eventually.
0: I love that you brought that analogy You know, together, because it's really interesting. A lot of times people ask the question, well, where does this work come from? Does it spur from within the company and, you know, people, or does it spur really from the leadership level? Mm -hmm. And I think that like what you just said, it's when you have both of those things that are working in tandem that you're Mm -hmm. really able to see the most, you know, change. But on on that planting the seeds, tell me what are some of the seeds that people could be planting in their organizations?
1: Yes, number one is making sure that you know why you want to do this. So Mm -hmm. if you're not clear on the why you want your organization to go on the path of DEI, you're going to get kind of blown in the wind because that understanding your why is going to be your North Star and you're going to need a North Star because if you don't, you're, you're you're going to get knocked down and it's not going to stick. Um, Some of the most impactful things that we've been able to do at CUNA Mutual Group is looking at both the individual change that's necessary and the systems change. In the space of DEI and racial equity, there tends to be a debate on are you looking for systems level change or are you looking for individual change? Are you trying to change hearts and minds? Are you trying to change policy? Uh And and I think it's a both and. So what we're doing at CUNA Mutual Group is both. So in terms of the individual stuff, we're looking at learning and development. So we have a pretty robust um, diversity, equity, inclusion learning series, which you were featured. You came as a speaker. I loved it. It was amazing to meet your team. (laughs) Yes. And then the (laughs) Inclusion Institute, which is a deep dive curriculum that we created into what does it mean to be an inclusive organization? And it's small cohorts of 15 to 20 people at a time for six weeks. We have our ERGs, our affinity groups, which are very impactful. So those are the individual types of things that ha- are happening. And then we also look at policy and practice. We look at our policies now through a lens of bias. Who's being impacted? Who's benefiting mm-hmm. from this decision? And who's being burdened? And they can be smaller, smallish or smallish sure. seeming pos- policies such as dress code, or they can be larger policies such as workplace facility type things. So it's really making sure that we have the individual and the system level change um, going at the same time. Because when you think about the systems level change that you need from a policy perspective, that happens only when you've got individuals on their path as well. Individuals on the path towards looking at their own biases, their own unconscious biases, their own, um, you know, natural affiliations versus broadening their own network, that type of thing.
0: Absolutely. So when you are looking through that, I'm going to ask a question about this policy. Sure. So when you're looking at the policies and you're trying to, you know, see what lens is it coming through? Mm-hmm. How, how, what does that look like? Break that down for me. So if there's a leader on here who's thinking, oh, you know what? I really do want to review some of our, our policies, but I
1: don't even know how to start. What, what does that look like? Yeah, it can look like a variety of different things. So one is if you just take your dress code policy, go through your dress code policy and see who was this dress code policy benefiting and who is it um, unintentionally burdening? I work with a lot of different credit unions throughout the, uh, throughout the United States. And there was this one credit union that I had heard about and we we're talking and they're like, we have, we've looked at our dress code policy and we've gotten the answer. And so what they had for their, their credit union members and their workforce is that no one could come into the building with something on their head, no, no hat, right? or head, head covering whatsoever. Sure. And the intention was, and the bias, quite frankly, was um, having something on your head, like a baseball cap or something was associated with some sort of criminal type behavior, bad bias, whatever. But they're like, we've got a way to get around this. And I'm like, okay, uh-huh. we just have people go through the drive through So think about this. You've got women who are wearing hijabs or wearing a head covering for breast cancer treatment or a whole variety of other things. Their solution was, we'll just have them go through the drive-through. So if you break down that policy, you think about who's Mm -hmm. uh, benefiting from this. Sure. People who are fearful of whomever they see as the other and who is burdened, a whole variety of folks. So that's an example Um, that the quick equity analysis is who's benefiting, who's burden. Um, Another quick example is ADA. When you think about um, ADA compliance. Sure. So a few years ago, we, my colleagues and I did did a session for our interns around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one intern was in a motorized wheelchair. He's Mm -hmm. like, hey, can I I show you something? And we're like, sure. So he said, he could get into our building just fine. There's push button accessibility. But getting in from our lobby to our main atrium, where a lot of work happened, there was no push button accessibility. So he would have to have to take the elevator down and go back up to get in or go up to go back down to get out. And so when I reached out to our facilities folks and said, hey, this seems like a accessibility issue, they said we did what was compliant. And that was my learning that compliance does not always mean inclusive. So one way that we learn about inclusion is to make sure that we have people from a variety of different backgrounds to show us where we're not being inclusive. I wouldn't have known otherwise unless um, this intern had showed us.
0: Absolutely. And I think part of, you know, the challenging thing is that. Having a a space where somebody feels comfortable enough Mm -hmm. to even share, like this is how this is impacting me in a negative way, or this is maybe something that was a blind spot to you, Mm -hmm. um, can be really hard, right? Because, and I think especially if there is a history or there's just kind of a um, a process. I wish they're not heard or they aren't listened to. And so, how does your office help? You know, bridge that safe space, but also making sure that there is responsiveness.
1: Yeah, it's hard, and it takes time. It's. I think that sometimes when organizations start their DEI work, they feel like people are automatically going to trust them, but that doesn't work. That takes mm-hmm. time and intentionality. So, our affinity groups, our ERGs, has been a great way for us to. Um, build connections with people who have similar backgrounds and give them a platform to discuss in a safe, safe way their challenges and, and opportunities. And that trust has been built over time. Again, it did not happen overnight. It was not instantaneous. We were about five years onto our journey and we're still learning new things along the way. And there are groups mm-hmm. who feel more seen and heard than others. And um, yeah, we're, we're learning. It's this notion of what does allyship look like as well. I think sometimes people want to say I'm an ally as if it's a noun and that doesn't even make any sense. Mm -hmm. Allyship is a verb. And if you are going to be a Mm self-proclaimed ally, I actually question whether you're an ally at all. Because sometimes people want to call themselves, maybe I'm going to get too real. People want to call themselves an ally to get a, get a DEI cookie. I'm not handing out DEI cookies. You're not. No, <laughs> I, I am the wrong person, but people want cookies from me all of the time. Right. And I, I'm just, if you're not committed to actual transformational change at the individual and at the systems level, it's not for me, I'm not going to be your person to help you along this journey.
0: Right. I love that you said that because I think that that whole idea of who's an ally, what, you know, that the idea that it's a verb, that it is something mm-hmm. that you are constantly having to work out, that it is mm-hmm. something that you are, have to constantly challenge yourself. I mean, I do this work all the time and I right. I wouldn't say like, I'm a, I'm an ally, right? right. Not because right. I'm not trying to be, but because that's, this is like a continue, you don't ever
1: really get there. You're always on the journey to get there. It's a continuation. And it, one of the things that I love about our leadership at CUNA Mutual Group is that they really embody this notion of confident humility, confident Mm. that this is a right path that we're going to be on, that we need to be on, humble enough to say that this is a collective effort and we don't all have the answers and we're going to learn from each other. I love that. that's
0: awesome. Well I'm so glad that you're on board that you're connected that the leadership at the organization is moving in this direction. so there are a lot of people you know who are listening who again want to get activated right They want mm-hmm. this these these ally type of competencies as part of who they are as a leader. so as you're thinking about that, what are some critical questions they should be asking themselves like yeah. how do they get into the mindset of I'm I'm allying. <laughs> I'm
1: trying to change the word. I'm allying, right? I or I want a partner. I want to be a co-conspirator. I've heard this phrase of, "Do I don't need an ally? I want a co-conspirator." I love that. Yeah, a lot. Um, That's cool. The questions that I would ask folks is why? Why do you want to be this? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes is by this woman from Australia. Her name is Lila Watson, and she says, "If you've come here to save me, you're to help me. You're wasting your time." But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together. Sometimes in the space of DEI, people want to come with a savior complex. I'm going to help you poor black person or less than person of color or less than woman. But no, your liberation is just as critical as my liberation. So let's work together. So really getting down deep and saying, why do I want to do this? Am I trying to get a cookie? And am I, am I trying to earn points with somebody or do I really want to be a co-conspirator? And if I really want to be a co-conspirator, am I willing to open myself up to my own personal transformation? Mm
0: -hmm. I think
1: if you're a leader in this space, you're going to have to face some dark spots. You have to be humble because you are learning all the time and you've got to be committed to that transformation. Um, I think that's huge. Um, Also asking yourself, what am I willing to invest? Am I willing to go deep? Am I willing to have people to mirror me and show me some spaces that I still need to grow? If I'm not willing to do that, I'm not on the path. I'm not really interested in investing in this for real. real. I also think that people want quick answers. So I cannot tell you how often I get asked the question, um, well, what are the, the top three things or what's the top 10 lists that I can do? And I'm like, okay, someone can give you that, but that's transactional surface change. Right. That's not change that's going to be sustainable over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of our executives, gosh, four, about four or five years ago, he's like, I know what you're going to tell me, but really, what's the code to doing this well? <laughs> and my response was, there's no code to undoing centuries worth of oppression. Right. And the work of um, DEI in a certain sense is a work of justice and it's iterative, it's emergent and there is no specific code if we're committed to doing it in a real way. Right.
0: And everybody's path is going to be different too,
1: right? Absolutely. That's one of the challenges that,
0: you know, what works at CUNA might not work at some other place, might not work right for this group or that group. And so a lot of it has to be things that you're iterating together, right? And building on
1: together. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate so much about you, Deanna, is your book, Purposeful Hustle. And I think it's a really important piece to connect Your why to the work of DEI, right? Mm -hmm. And the other reason why it's so important, so much leadership books is based in white male norms, and you are pushing against that. So I go through so many leadership classes, and they're like, okay, read this book, this book, this book. And I'm like, they all say the same thing. And I'm tired of being taught what leadership looks like by white men because it may look different from me. So the other thing that I would encourage folks to think about and um, really sit with is what are their leadership books and how diverse is your, um, body of leadership books and leadership books don't always need to be come from a business section of a bookstore. It could be a novel where you're learning about leadership in a whole another way, but that you can tie and connect the dots.
0: I love that. And thank you very much. That was very kind of you to speak so highly of purposeful health. So I, you know, that was the goal. The goal was Mm -hmm. to be able to add a different voice to the conversation and a different way to think about who we are as as leaders and how and how we show up, right? Because that's right. Diversity, and inclusion work is not like one division, one department. It is really (laughs) the work that we're doing as human beings.
1: That's right. I love that you
0: said it was a social justice issue. I mean, if we're gonna be better humans, we're gonna be better at these things.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Period. Yes. Period. I, there was a, a class that actually I just was notified that they picked up it was a leadership class. I think it was in the healthcare space. And what they were doing is they were looking for books that they could put into this, you know, list. And it was interesting because this woman reached out to me and she's like, you know what? Purposeful Hustle was the only book that had a was written by a person of color. It was the only book that was written by a woman. Mm-hmm. And I pointed this out, you know, I was like, wow, you know, there are people who are hungry for a different kind of of thought leadership and so absolutely right and so being able to make sure too that we're giving voice within our organizations for different ways that leadership can show up that's absolutely that's awesome well of course i do not want this conversation to end because (laughs) i love everything about you and i love being able to to chat with you and every single time i learn from you i have like this whole page of notes over here (laughs) of all the things that i want to circle back to and put in my like you know uh a leadership growth file, right? Like yeah. these are ways to to talk about this and, and move forward. So thank you for letting me be a student in your class, oh. Angela. I appreciate oh, it. Thanks. And I guess the last thing I would just say, is there anything that you want to say to uh, the listeners, you know, about this work, uh, about, you know, moving forward, anything that you can give them?
1: Yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, number one, this work will no doubt improve your um, emotional intelligence, your vulnerability, you have to be so vulnerable. And let me be clear, I talk a good game about vulnerability, and I suck at it, I hate it. <laughs> I come at it kicking and screaming, it makes me feel so uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Sure. And, and one of the ways that I see this work as connected to emotional leadership is because on this work on this journey, you will go through that state, those stages of grief, right? The yeah. the denial, the anger, the bargaining until you get to acceptance. And you see that journey with individuals who are that path with, with individuals on the journey. And you see it at the organizational level. So no when you're facing resistance, it's actually part of the grieving process. Wow. Grieving that the world is as it is. And we actually don't have all the answers and that we do have to rely on each other. So that's one piece that that, that cycle is always there. The other thing is that I see this as an iterative ongoing cycle of awareness, skills building, implementation into policy and practice. So often, particularly in Madison, Wisconsin, when we become aware of an issue, we think we're woke and we wanna go to implementation right, right away without having those necessary skills around crucial conversations, around understanding our own biases before we get to action. So taking that time to really Develop and practice those Mm -hmm. skills. It's just like if you're an athlete or a musician or an artist, you're not going to go to one class and have it mastered. It takes daily intentional practice. So I would encourage folks to think about what is a one or two things that you want to practice on your journey and just get at it.
0: That's awesome. So if people, I know there's going to be super fans now, because, <laughs> of course, I have all the, all the gems of knowledge that you've, that you've left with us with. So if people want to stay connected, what's the, what's the best way to do that? LinkedIn. Okay. Just, shoot me a LinkedIn
1: note or connect, and that's the best way for right now.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thanks to Kim really Mutual great. for all the great work that you know, they continue to do in this space and really being a leader. It's awesome to see you.
1: Oh, so great to see you as well, Deanna.
0: Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Angela, that was so awesome. She's so great. I'm so glad that you all had the chance to get to hear and learn from her. We would love for you to share this episode, to follow, to make sure that you stay connected because it's only by us staying connected and learning together that we are going to be able to make the change that we want to see. I can't wait to be with you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top
1: business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.